Come, Holy Spirit. Kindle in us the fire of your love. Open the eyes of our hearts and see through them. Open our lips and speak through them. Set our souls on fire. Please be seated. Happy New Year! So we are in that season of Advent, a season of watching and waiting, a season that we remember the coming of Christ and Christmas and his second coming, second coming of Christ that we hear about today. Now, in the, in the, in the church lectionary, the three years, years A, B, and C, every first Sunday of Advent, we have this apocalyptic kind of vision of Jesus talking with his disciples about his second coming, the coming of the Son of Man, but no one knows when that is going to happen. You hear that no matter if you're an A, B, or C of the lectionary. It's always that kind of future vision of the coming of the Son of Man. And then the next two Sundays, we're going to hear about John the Baptist, the demented Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> the coming of John, right? The precursor, the Elijah who's to come before the Messiah, and then on that last Sunday of Advent, we hear about the coming of the right? The coming of the of the Christ child, and then of course, then we go into the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, where you have the birth of the child, right? So this is the pattern for each of the three years. It's always on this first Advent, this kind of strange thing about the coming, and Jesus doesn't know when it's going to happen. The angels don't know when it's going to happen. Only God the Father knows. But you know what? That hasn't stopped the church from saying when it's going to happen. <laughs> Lots of these people in the church going, we know the end times, we're reading all the signs, we know when it's going to happen, right? We know when it's going to happen. But Jesus tells us. <coughs> so he is waiting. And he is watching. And we are in this season of waiting and watching. And there's something that is called from us in the season of waiting and watching. Our waiting and watching is never meant to be a passive thing. It's not that we sit on the sidelines just kind of waiting for all this to unfold. It's always that we as the people of God are called to be the people of God no matter what season it is. We are always called to follow Christ and to be Christians, little Christs in the world. Loving neighbor as self, loving God with all that we have, doing all the things that we're supposed to do. And in this season of Advent, where we are watching and waiting, right, that, that continued service and that continued being the people of God, right, is part of what we do. It's not a passive thing as we wait and we watch. It's a story of a, of a little girl. We'll call her Rachel. Because <laughs> that's her name in the story. <laughs> Rachel had a favorite grandfather. Every time granddad would come, he'd always bring her some prize of some kind. Often something small, like, you know, a small doll or, or, or a picture book or, or something that was always a delight to her. And she heard that grandpa was coming, so, oh, she knew that a gift was coming with this. And she was delighted that grandpa was coming because he always brought these wonderful things. And, and he brought her this gift this one day, and, and she was, quite frankly, disappointed. Quite disappointed. Because he handed her a Dixie cup full of dirt. Here, Rachel, a gift for you. And boy, the look on her face. You could tell that she was quite underwhelmed 
by Grandpa's gift. Oh. Oh, well, gee. So he recognized that as a small child, she doesn't really understand what this thing is. He says, well, Rachel, here's what I want you to do. And he went over and got one of her teapots from one of her, her little tea sets she plays with in her room and, and, and went and filled it up with some water and brought it back to her and showed her with the cup. You know, now, Rachel, now, every day, you have to take a little bit of water in your teapot and, and sprinkle it on, on the dirt and, and, and then put the cup back in the windowsill. Doesn't sound very exciting. And so, okay, Grandpa, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But you know, frankly, with a, with a small child to ask him to do something that seems to be so pointless, you know, she, she, tried, she tried to be faithful to what her grandpa said, and, and it did come to a point where when he came back, she tried to give the cup back to him. <laughs> there wasn't anything going on. This wasn't fun at all. Wasn't fun at all. But he encouraged on the ratio, got to be faithful, got to keep, got to keep watering that. Remember what I showed you. And then one day she went to get the cup to water it, and she was just like blown away. For several weeks, nothing. Drops of water on the dirt and nothing. What, what is this boring game? But then she was delighted because she looked in the cup and there's something green in there. And it's not mold. <laughs> there's something green in there. Something had pushed its way up out of the dirt. And she was like, oh, this is fantastic. Wait till Grandpa comes. And when he came over, she grabbed the cup and came running up to him. Look, Grandpa, look at this. Wow. Wow, did you know? <laughs> This is fantastic. And Grandpa, did you know that all it took was a few drops of water? And he got down to where she was and said, no, Rachel, all it took was your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. In this Advent season, that season of recognizing the coming of the Christ child at Christmas as well as the second coming, it's a season of our faithfulness, of remaining the people of God who we know we're supposed to be. You see, there is this other theology in the church about that second coming, right? It's actually not that old. It's less than 200 years old. A rapture theology that in the 1830s, a member of the Plymouth Brethren, John Nelson Darby, created this theology that, that when, when Jesus comes on the clouds and, and power and glory and all this to judge the world, that the people of God are going to be raptured. You, you maybe have seen these bumper stickers, right? In case of rapture, this car will be unoccupied, right? It's quite a popular theology that Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be a period of tribulation where there's going to be great kinds of suffering and judgment on the earth. But if you're one of the saved people of God, you're going to be elevated out of this world before all that happens. And that's quite a popular theology. But I think about that, and I think about what Jesus tells us, though. And I go, I don't think that's quite right. Certainly, if you ask people in the ancient church, the, the church fathers and mothers, right, and they, if you told them about rapture, they go, what are you talking about? Because this is a relatively recent theology. Quite popular, but recent. But when I think about Jesus and what Jesus said to his disciples, when he knew that he was leaving, <clears throat> You might remember that he prays for them. <coughs> he prays for them. Because he's leaving this world, but he's leaving them behind. And he came to be one of us, and he knows what this world is like. He knows what this world does 
to God's people. And he knows what this world gets us to do to ourselves and to each other. He knows that. And so on that night, right, that last final the evening that he has before he is crucified, and he prays for them because they're staying in the world. He's not rapturing them out, but he knows that we're going to be here. And he knows that we are going to experience the suffering that he experiences. He knows that. And it seems to be that if you think that somehow God comes and saves us from suffering, you kind of got it wrong. God doesn't save us from the suffering. But God promises to be with us in the suffering. God himself, God's Holy Spirit, the love of Christ, with us in our suffering, and each of us, inspired by that same Spirit, to be the love of God to each other in that suffering. In that suffering. The Jewish man, Eli Wiesel, now deceased, Nobel Prize winner, an author, college professor, survivor of the death camps. He was in Auschwitz and Buchenwald, survived both of them, and wrote a book about his experience in the death camps called The Night. The Night. And in that, he, he shares this story, this, this horrible story about human suffering and the monstrous things that humans can do to other humans. And I, I, I don't know what, what occasioned this, what, what brought this on, but, but the guards took two men and a boy and put them up on the gallows and put the ropes around their necks and then knocked the supports out from under their feet and hung them in the presence of the other prisoners. Now, if you're, a, if you're a larger person like I am, and you fall that neck around, that rope around your neck is probably going to break your neck. You will die quickly. And that's what happened to the two adults. But there was a boy. He didn't have the body mass to create that quick death. And Vizel said it took at least half an hour for that boy to die, being slowly strangled in agony in front of all of them watching this. It's horrific. And Ellie said somebody behind him, he heard somebody behind him say, well, where is God? Where is he? Because we think in human suffering like that, isn't, isn't that what we expect, that God's going to come riding in and, and save us from, from, from awful things like that? And we know so many times, right, when somebody is dying and somebody is suffering and, and something awful has happened, somebody being victimized. Horrible things happen. And so this voice, somebody behind him, you know, I don't, maybe because he was a, faith, a man of faith, they're going, okay, so, yeah, you man of faith, where's your God now? Where is your God? And as they're watching this boy die, that, that voice maybe taunting him or challenging his faith says, where is he? And he says in that moment when he heard it the second time, he had this internal conversation, kind of repeating the question, where, where is God? Where is he now? He's hanging from that gallows. You get it? That boy did not die alone. 
Jesus had his own gallows. He knows what suffering is. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what we can do to each other. And he is there with us in our darkest moments. You see, this is, this is the waiting and the watching. This is our chance to be faithful as Jesus is faithful to us. You know, in this Advent season, we can make it all about waiting for Christmas and, and cakes and cookies and, and packages and all that. Or we can be the people of God that in this Advent season have a special discipline of looking for the suffering. Of looking for the homeless, looking for the hopeless, looking for the outcasts, looking for the hungry, looking for those people who have been shut away and can't come to church anymore of going into our institutions and bringing a message of hope to all those who feel hopeless. This is Advent, a watching and a waiting, but with a faithfulness to be the people of God at all times. May God bless your faithfulness this Advent season.